Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hers from FasterSkier.com. We are deep into the 2024 edition of the Tour de Ski. We've got a batch of recaps for you from racing in the high-altitude venue of Davos, Switzerland, home to cross-country ski racing and the world's economic elite. We've got a Norwegian cross-country ski racing guest for you in Mikkel Gunnarsson, who Devin will introduce in a minute in more proper fashion. We'll have another episode once the Tour de Skiers hit the top of the Alp Chermis in the final race in a few days. Stay with us. We'll be back. Lighter, better, faster. The new Speedmax Helium Ski from Fisher is the ultimate in race ski technology. The Speedmax Helium Skate Plus features a bi-directional air core and a redesigned World Cup tip, helping this revolutionary ski weigh in at less than 950 grams. Paired with the new Speedmax boot, Fisher's Speedmax Helium skis keep you staying stronger during your next long ski and can help you drop time during your next big race. Learn more about the new Speedmax Helium system at fishersports.com. Remember, skiing isn't a lifestyle, it's life. <laughs> he just sending me it uh, like he doesn't know which thing to click to make it work, but it's uh, that should work in a second. He's he's a professional skier, not in uh, information technology. Totally. Okay. Do you hear me? Now we hear you, Mikel. Yeah. Hello. Nice to yeah, meet baby. you guys. Or Devin, I know, but yeah. yeah I hope so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the real, the real German. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, <laughs> nice you you don't need you don't, you don't need to know me. I'm just the straight man. The straight man, okay. But uh, are you like? Uh, you're a journalist, right? I play I play one on this podcast anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I listened to the Clabo podcast as everybody else did. So in the, with only that experience of you, and you're a journalist to me. <laughs> nice. That that's that's gonna be like my claim to fame. Like next time I go to Norway, I'm gonna like get on the train from the airport and they're going to be like, where's your, where's your ticket? And I'm just going to be like, I don't worry about it. I interviewed Claybo. Like, uh, I, I don't need a ticket. It's fine. That's <laughs> well, now you're going to say Claybo, Claybo was the second uh, guy. You're going to see Mika Gunderson first for, <laughs> I hope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm not, up, I'm not, I'm not all the way up there, but yeah. I'll, yeah. I guess I'll just, inter- I'll introduce uh, my good friend, Mikael Gunnarsson. He's a Norwegian skier who has been, well, he's one of the best classic skiers I've ever seen. That's for sure. And I would have said he's the pride and joy of uh, she in Norway, but that's a lie after what Henrik Dunnestad did today. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. But uh, uh, That's true, um, man. That's true. Yeah, that's true. So he was the pride and joy, but you know what? Out with the old, in with the new. No, Mikael has been a teammate of mine, actually, when I was with um, training with Team Telemark later in my career and it's been fun to follow along not only that but Mikael's a, a great friend and he has some pretty amazing palmares he has a gold medal in the relay on the world cup in Bidestolen last year in 2022 and then uh as recently as last spring in march in lati in a 20k classic was what sh- what we saw today Mikael was fourth as his best world cup result so he's definitely no slouch and it's really fun to have him on uh whatever whatever this is we do here nat uh to break down to break down the races and hopefully 
before Mikael has to bounce, we can get his perspective a little bit on um, on uh, Henrik Dunnestad, who threw down a race for the ages. We're not going to start with that here now, if that's cool with Mikael and that, but um, the young Norwegian in only his ninth or 10th World Cup start was second today and really made the made the race on the men's side in the 20K pursuit. I think I think we should just do it. You know what? Like everyone who's listening to this, I feel like for the most part has watched it and we're here and we're talking about it. Like we got the guests that lined up. I don't know. I mean, I, I hey, just let's like... do it then. Okay, well, let's do yeah. it. Let's just talk about let's start with the men's pursuit then, which happened today, only hours ago. Uh, it was 20k class. Well, of course, because um this is how we're doing it right now in the tour de ski is these longer races aren't exactly 20k. This one was what like 21.78 kilometers or something like that. <laughs> no, but it was a it was a two-lap 20 kilometer classic race, and it was a pursuit off the sprint results, actually. So that this made it kind of interesting, and I know it confused some viewers, at least here in Norway, which is shocking because Norwegians are usually so um dialed in on what's going on. But so you got the bonus seconds from the sprint like normal, but then the pursuit, the guy who won the sprint was Shanava. So he went out first and then the bonus seconds go down from there. So it was, it was actually pretty exciting. Well, I would have liked to start with the women's. But we're going to start with the men's. Um, the sun was shining and the tracks were pretty beat up, like glazed. So you had tons of fresh snow that was with the sun beating down on it. It looked incredibly difficult to have perfect skis and I thought there was actually a lot of movement in this race. I, I, it was a blast to watch. They Usually, I can't stand Davos's race course to watch on TV because then you're up in this valley. We've talked about it a lot before. Bluella, 5K from like 1973. That just kind of gradual up and then you just tuck all the way down to the stadium in the woods. And then there's like three old Swiss dudes with iPhone 4s filming it and the production's horrible. And that is not what this was. I thought it was, I thought it was exciting to watch. I thought it was exciting to follow along. It went out into some of the training trails. There's three valleys in, in Davos for those that have been there, Fluella, Dishma, and then Sirtig. So it went parts into Fluella and parts into uh, Dishma. No one knows about this. Now you you, you sound like Bill Gates at the world yeah. economic forum. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, it was, it was using some of the training trails or the tourist trails in Davos to create like, a pretty unique lap actually that had everything easy easy terrain some bitch and climbs uh some pretty fast and icy downhills i i don't know i i thought it was a, an amazingly fun race to watch honestly and uh i don't know I, i'd like to hear you guys' perspectives because there was a couple big names that i that under delivered and then there was a couple big names that delivered amazingly well and then there was dunnesta who ended up making the race and finished second well, I can I can start with my perspective on it. I think also the race course was really really nice, and it's uh, it's uh, def definitely something different into the World Cup. It kind of some 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 of the parts of some parts of the race. It kind of looked like a long distance race from Wisma Ski Classics. <laughs> we did we just a long long line of double polling of skiers trying to, to trying to keep up. Uh, but uh, I don't know I. I think the race would have been quite differently if it was like 10 minus and uh, really hard and, you know, normal uh, winter conditions. I think it would have been a much harder race to, to gather the group. I think uh, uh, maybe those guys being 30 to 40 seconds in front would be harder to catch for the group behind. But when there was uh, the fresh snow and the tracks was uh, was like there was, uh, uh, or... Uh, 
it was no no big uh, it, it wasn't a big surprise that the, the, the group gathered so fast as it did the only thing that actually surprised me in the start was how long Edwin Unger uh, <laughs> had a gap he was like fighting really really hard but I maybe think he forgot he was at 1600 meters so yeah well <laughs> at the end there it seemed kind of uh, kind of lame for him but yeah but what impressed me most with Dunnestad's performance performance is like from the start of the race Martin Nienge and some other guys actually started behind Henrik Dunnestad and they passed him quite early and they went away from him so Nienge was like the first guy to catch up the the front uh, group if you look away from Ange and Dunnestad he was really 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 patient compared to many other guys so I know that he has huge respect for the altitude and he's a smart guy, maybe one of the smartest guys I know. So he knows that in a pursuit like this, everyone wants to catch the racer in front of him when they start. So everybody, like if one guy opens too hard, the next guy opens too hard. And in uh, Davos and with his, uh, uh, he, he hasn't been training in altitude at all this year. So he, he, he was like skiing it so smart compared to the other guys. And when they all gathered, I, I actually I actually thought it was finished when I looked at him at the at the back there. I thought maybe Dennisa is gonna is he gonna let go right now or how is this? What's happening? But then when he came to the front, we could see that his start was really really smart because, as he said in the interview, he had so much energy he didn't know where to <laughs> he didn't know where to put it. So yeah, he skied it as fast as yeah uh, hell for like yeah, the last ten last six eight. How is it K? And the group, like, group was like shattered into pieces. So yeah, he impressed me so much. One with the physical, but also tactical. I mean, you could see, uh, you mentioned Edmund Anger, like uh, he, he was out on his own skiing, uh, you know, looked really smooth and, and really good uh, until he got caught maybe halfway a little a little further into the race. And and you have to scroll pretty far down the result sheet to uh, to find Edmund Hunger. He he ended the day three minutes behind uh, behind Harold Osberg Amundsen, which, you know, all all came in the last half of the race so um he definitely you know you can definitely see like it, it kind of happened to Lynn Svahn a little bit and at the end of uh her race in the women's race as as well and I you know I think you also um it is really different as you mentioned Mikkel like uh I think some big championships of ship events big events like the tour to ski you know as some athletes will have the opportunity to altitude camp or altitude train beforehand but like in this case all the athletes are are coming up to davos straight from uh from italy without really like an opportunity to acclimatize i don't know what the altitude is in toblack but yeah 1300 it's, it's 1300 it's like 12 1300 and honestly that's what's weird about altitude it's like it kind of for every once you get to like over 12 1300 meters every 100 meters of altitude that you gain from there like it actually starts to bite even more and it's funny for an american from colorado or, or rosie from from park city you know it's like calling davos altitude is a joke even me that that lived in in um camor for 16 years like i mean 
all the Scandinavians talking about Davos and Davos is altitude to this, that, and the other. I'm like, come on guys, it's 1,550 meters. But that is what's hard is when you're coming from a non-altitude environment. And some of these athletes did spend Christmas over uh, at higher altitude, like over 1,800 meters or 2,000 meters to try and, and prepare. But, but uh, you know, in these tour de skis, all these races kind of start stacking up too. And it, it does definitely bite. And I thought we saw that today. I was going to curious to get Mikael's perspective on like, I was pretty surprised with um, Valnes, who's a great classic skier. And once it stopped snowing and the track started glazing up like that, I'm like, okay, this is kind of playing into Valnes's hand. I think Valnes had a tough sprint yesterday. He was obviously exhausted after that 20K skate where he had to dig so deep to hold on for that second place there in, in Toblock. But today, like seeing him all the way down in, in 11th, that, that was surprising. And, and that I think could be because he has no altitude preparation whatsoever and a tired body. But I, I, I don't know what, what you, what you saw there, Mikael. Well, Eric Valnes is one hell of a distance skier as well as a sprinter, but, and he's been doing well in like a 50 K now and then. So, so it's, it's quite surprising to see, but I saw precisely the same thing in uh, Lahti this uh, winter when I was four, he was in really good shape then. And the same thing happened at the 20K that day. He just, suddenly he was out of energy and he just had to, and he was dropped. So it happened before. I don't know why, but uh, it kind of seems like when, like, the the guys that uh, breathe the, much, the, mess, the most oxygen really, really push over some time, in, the, in the, especially the uphills, he gets dropped if it's too far, but I don't know. He has the speed resources to like do a really good 10k, but yeah, the 20k doesn't look like his uh, his uh, favorite uh, length. I don't know. And then also too, like oh sorry, oh sorry, Nat, you you go. No, okay. Well, I, like I was also I was also like I want to really throw a lot of light and praise on this chase group, like Lapalu Frederick Moch is fifth. He started thirty. Yeah, Bita Clay was having the tour of the ages. And then my boy, Tony. Yeah, Tony. That's what we wanted to see. Uh, seventh place for Antoine Sierre, which is so good. And then some of these other young French guys like Bourdain of France. It was it was, it was was such a fun race to see this chase group like really in it till essentially done the stuff. But like you said, Mikael, with like 6K out, just said PCO and him and Abmanson, uh tore the field to shreds. But, but it was it's not often you see results list like this on the men's side of things. And I thought it was really fun. I don't know, Nat, what do you think? Well, that, I mean, that's what I was going to say was I actually, the thing that I really liked about this race is like, you could look at the results sheet and be like, Oh, the universe is back to its normal balance after this weird start to the tour where we were seeing French dudes winning races and Norway getting relegated, like off the podium and in the men on the men's side in like this really weird way. And like, in some ways it was like, okay, today was, a little bit back to normal and you could be like oh this is boring norway sweeps the podium but like no i totally agree like this race was much like the women's race it, it was awesome to watch the the one thing um well yeah and wanted to wanted to particularly shout out i mean i i think the swiss team the swiss men's team has just been absolutely overperforming during the tour you've seen grand and Ribly really excelling in the in the on the sprint side and then clay has been having like an an epic uh epic series of distance races and you know we had um 
we had their coach on earlier this year, but I just think it's cool to see those guys really mixing it up. The one, the one thing that I was thinking about today was, you know, watching kind of the level of confidence and dominance of Harold Osberg Amundsen. It made, it just made me think like, God, wouldn't it be fucking great if Johannes Klebo was in the tour and we could be watching those guys kind of go at it? Because I mean, I don't know. I don't think that, Amundsen is going to touch Claybo uh, in the in 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 a sprint, but I think like the way these guys, all these guys are skiing distance, uh, I just think it would have made for a really fun tour. And like the difference in demeanor in those two guys, like I actually just think it would. I mean, I don't know anything about the relationship between those two dudes, but I think it would be. I think it would have been really fun to see. We'll probably get to see it later this season. I was really curious. I mean, I know. Um, you invited uh, Mikkel on on to talk a little bit because he knows uh, Henrik Donestad from I don't know growing up or ski racing. And I, you know, I would just be curious to hear a little more, Mikkel, about like you know who who the, you know this is a guy we've seen in the past two years really like delivering these results sort of out of obscurity and and, and having to kind of fight his way into World Cup starts. Uh, and as a guy who's not on the Norwegian national team and like, just curious what you could tell us about like who this guy is, where he comes from, like what, it, what your sense is of what it's been like for these past two years to kind of break out in the way that he has in spite of the obstacles that he's had in front of him. Yeah, well, uh, we can start with the start. He's from, uh, he's from uh, Sheen, the same city I grew up in. So, but he's three years younger than me. So, yeah, I've known him since uh, since he was like 10, 11 years old because then he started to be a part of a group in Cheyenne called Grenland Ski, uh, which uh, which is a club gathering for the whole area where all the clubs train together. And uh, yeah, he was a young uh, skier. Not, I, I wouldn't say a talent. He was a young skier, looked like everybody else and uh, wasn't even the best one in his age. Uh, and... Uh, well, when we got to the, ju- the juniors, he started to improve. And the last season as a junior, he was qu- actually quite good. He was on the podium in the national championship for juniors behind skiers as Johannes Kleibo and Mattis Densagen. So, so as a junior in the last uh, last junior season, he, he showed us a little bit of, a, of what we've seen today, but... Um, not anything close and the start of the seniors not that good but uh, he got to the U23 championship in the last year wasn't even close to a medal that year but uh, when you're Norwegian and you get to the U23 championship you may be a, well I think he qualified himself to death so when he, get, he got to the championship he was uh, she, he was too tired to perform but uh, when uh, we had some years together in Team Telemark, I think it was like six years with Devon as well uh, for some of the years. And uh, after that, he uh, he uh, went to Team Elon Oslofjord, where he is now. And there he made, he, he changed his, tra- his changed uh, his way of training a little bit. Uh, and maybe that was uh, what he needed to like, to get to, to take the next step. Um, I didn't think, I'm going to be honest, I didn't think he had this step in him. I'm, 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 if, you, if you asked me two years ago, how good will Dunstan be at the end of his career? I didn't think he had this level in him. But, uh, but uh, the last year he has, 
I, I, I just discussed his training a little bit with him, but also with his teammates. Like, I know how smart uh, Dundasa is. So during the fall, some of his teammates uh, have said to me that, yeah, well, he hasn't been like the best in every session, not even close. He, he's been a lot like lying in the group on the intervals and the hard sessions. He's been like quite uh, anonymous. But, uh, well, I spoke to him and uh, he said to me that, Maybe I haven't been as tired as I've uh, looked at the, those sessions, being smart, just lying in the group and uh, not uh, burning all this energy in the fall. So, um, so yeah, now he really, really has taken an, a new step into the winter. And, well, then is you, you don't want to play chess with him. You don't want to go into a quiz with him because uh, he's, uh, he's smarter than you, even though you think you're smarter than him. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get beaten. So, yeah, he... Uh, He's a smart guy, and uh, he also he, he's a working class hero. He he. If you start a training session like ten past nine, you know that Henrik Dunsa has been training for ten minutes. He he he's like a clock. So yeah, his second session, if it starts like sixteen ten, he's sick. Uh, so yeah, he 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 starts at nine and he starts at four. So yeah, and he, and if if a session is planned to be three hours, it's not two fifty nine or three three oh one. It's three hours. So yeah, he um, he's a machine, and uh, he shows that uh, consistency is key. I wanted to ask you too, Mikael, like because I know how hard it is. I mean, you you you've created this new this new team that's had great success already this year, uh, Team Swix. Um, but Dunstan, like you said, was on Team Telemark. He was like, you know, you guys have both been kind of like knocking on the door of the national program for a while here and, and winning medals and winning Norwegian Cups and, and you have won Scandinavian Cups and stuff and, and Dunstan's had some great results too. But a couple years ago, I don't know if you remember this, but like Henrik Dunstan is a working class hero, honestly. And I think it's so cool. And so I got serious goosebumps watching. I, I also didn't think he had it in him, not in classic and not in challenging conditions like this. And he was skiing beautifully in classic against the best in the world and making the race. That's why we're spending time on this right now. It's like, I think there's a lot of um, inspiration that younger athletes can take from a guy like Dunnesta and what he's done because it is incredible. No one in their right mind. He never went to world juniors has a 24 year old, like world cup, forget it. Like like 23, like no chance. Like this is not in a discussion at all. And, and here he is second in the overall tour with a great 10 K classic for him. And he's going to be a beast up that hill. Don't, don't, don't you forget that? Like he's tough as nails. And, and it's just a, such an inspirational story, but about struggling, like a couple years ago, this is a guy that doesn't post a lot on social media or anything. He's just like, yeah, he's a working class, like salt of the earth, good dude. And, and he's like, posting that like man he might have to quit skiing like he, he you know a lot of north americans i think think that norwegians are ballers and all rolling in bentleys and loaded and like that is not the case like he has really had to scrape it together and i was just curious in that in those times like when it was like touch and go whether or not he could have the funds to even keep skiing did, did he ever talk to you about how tough that was or was it ever really like a question if he could keep skiing or or was he always like no i'm gonna scrape and search the couch cushions to make this happen. Like, can you talk a little bit about that with Henrik, but also you, like also like just a skier in Norway in general, like how, how tough is that when like getting a little older, you've had a lot of success, but man, it's hard to, it's hard to make ends meet. Yeah. 
it's really hard to make ends meet and there's a lot of people a lot of skiers in Norway in the same position as you describe and yeah you know uh, actually there I got a message from Henrik Dunstad that's uh, quite fun uh, <laughs> Uh, well, no, but Henning Dunstad, for a couple of years ago, he, he was like, uh, as you said, in a difficult position economically and, and, and wanted help from some partners. Luckily enough, he got help from from some partners, but I know that this guy, he, would, he wouldn't retire before he was like uh, full or uh, finished with this. So he would have scraped the couch for whatever... Uh, possible chance of uh, for, for continuing but uh, it's also about as you know to maximize everything around so uh, he had to scrape together and he also gets help from his wonderful parents which I've talked to today which follows like really 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 close and are considering going to Bergamo tomorrow to watch the, they should. the two last I know them the- too they have to go they gotta go <laughs> Yeah, I, I talked to uh, I talked to his uh, mother earlier today, and uh, well, uh, they they've been through one hell of a journey uh, together, like uh, turning every corner to uh, turning every stone to to make this possible, and to to have the the arena to make it possible, and that's the reality of I think almost every skier in Norway. Uh, you hear skiers like uh, except those on the national team of course but those outside which is like a red army uh, of skiers uh, who who can travel around and compete against each other's each other every weekend and the winner in the Norwegian cup race get like 4000 kroner uh, i don't know uh, in your currency uh, devon you can describe how much that is after me but uh, uh, it's, it's 400, 400 american 400 american yeah yeah, is that easy? And it's like no, no salary to live by, uh, live from. So, so uh, I think almost every skier without a national team spot is getting help from their parents, or have are really, really lucky and have uh, a sponsor or two helping them uh, in their journey. So yeah, it's not. Uh, it's like the holy grail of uh, Norwegian sports. It's to get where Dunstad is now. So everybody's like aiming for it uh, and offering like both their youth and their <laughs> adult <laughs> time to make it happen because in Norway there's nothing bigger. Maybe Erling Haaland is bigger, but that's the only one. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's like the biggest thing you can do here in Norway. We love cross-country skiing. Everybody follows it, and and um, there's a lot of people having that goal. But it's not uh, like we're driving any Bentleys now. We got to talk about the women's because Nat has to peace out here, and then you, Mikael has a dinner. So, but, but we we got to we got to talk about the women's race because it was a tale of two days. We saw, I think, we saw like all, like we saw the entire winter season, four in, seasons. We saw, yeah, in like the span of four hours or three hours. Like, so the women's race was not sunny and not gorgeous. Uh, maybe right, right at the end, but for the most part, it was snow chaos disaster and. Watching this thing, I was like, oh my <laughs> good lord. The likes of like Jesse Diggins are getting totally screwed here or Lin Svan because like there is no chance. Like th- the whole field is going to come together. It's going to be a mass start. It was a mass start. It was the whole field together. What I found so fascinating is it wasn't surprising whatsoever that uh, Astrid 
Ayrish Schlin decided to double pole. She's a ski classic super champ, won the Vassalop at one Birkin, blah, blah, blah. She's like, this is a joke for her to double pole for 20K is nothing. But the rest of the field, also most of the Swedish team outside of Sundling decided to double pole this one, which was shocking. Like even Frida Carlson was on blank skis and, and double poling it. Um, and I thought it was just super fun because like the weather made for the race to be completely chaotic, at least like if it wasn't, for the weather and that happened, it would have been kind of boring in a way because like it all grouped together and they were all just skiing together. But um, when you saw people icing, you had a German a team leader that get thrown out of the tour to ski for throwing a ski over the track because people were icing so much. They were on stilts. Uh, we can get back to that. But um, you even saw like Diggins have like a tale of two races, like her first 10 K were horrendous. And then her last 10 K were otherworldly. Uh, Rosie had a great race. Niskin had a great race. A, eh? I think this race had it all. I, I kind of love the distance races all around. And, and I mean, I, I have to really tip my hat for, for the Davos organizing committee, like I said, to make a, to make a course like this and um, really fun to see two Americans on the podium. And Rosie again, like Rosie's been like pinballing here, like horrendous race, amazing race, horrendous race, amazing race. And and today her and Niskanen, they also made this race and it was really fun to see them get paid. And Diggins, I have no idea how you did that today. Oh my God, you're in good shape <laughs> to have a race like that and come out on the podium. It was, uh, it was, how, how did she do, how did she do that? I have no idea. Like she, <laughs> if you just paused it at 5k and saw how Diggins was skiing, you're like, Oh my God, Diggins is, she's throwing the tour away. It's over. She, she looked so bad. And the last yeah. 3K, 4K, you're like, Diggins looks just as good as she'd looked all season in Classic, like a champ. And hunted down for the podium is an insane but, performance. But, but but the conditions must have changed and her skis must have been improved because at yeah. the first lap, I, I felt so sorry for her. When she fell down there, it was quite yeah. easy to see how or why she fell down. That was the that was the kick wax biting when it shouldn't bite. So 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 it, it looks like it, it looked like like I remember Bolshinov in the in the uh, ski tour in uh, Trondheim after uh, uh, just being awesome for five days he was like waxed out of the competition in the last day there in the snow I was like this is Bolshinov again like she's leading the tour everything is perfect and now she's gonna be like three four minutes behind I don't know but I, I was so sure this was going the right just really really bad for her and then in the finish as you said where does she find the power to be on the podium a day like this it's, it's it was, amazing it was, it was crazy i mean I, you know she clearly like fought her way back into the race like on that last lap and going up that last hill but even even like all the way up until the the home stretch it was like she was behind margareta bergana and and like they they go over the top of the hill it's like clear diggins is is with her and has a good shot at it but then it's just like the, the screen goes dark for one minute and they come out of the woods and and diggins has like 100 meters on her or something it was just like what what is going on here i i thought i thought that women's race was like one of the the best races i've ever watched on tv it just you know but i mean i guess the, the beginning was not it was not thrilling but just like the end and that that crazy hill that they had to go up and over and you saw um devin you mentioned like the german coach or team leader who got thrown out like there were crazy things going on there like uh, uh, going up and over the the crest of that last hill like you 
saw Katarina Hennig like having to stop and scrape the ice off of her skis and just people completely getting shattered. I mean, I saw Lynn Spahn. I like I I haven't actually looked close enough at the results, but like she was definitely there were a couple moments where you could see her sliding uh, like in going diagonal on her on her you know on her classic skis which I you know if I was USA I would be throwing a protest out there because like I just it was it was pretty pretty she blatant. got a she got a warning she got a warning for that for skating and Lynn Vaughn ended up 20th Lynn Vaughn ended up 20th those that were watching it maybe didn't get to see what happened she actually broke her basket at a very inopportune time late in the race Got a new pole from her coach, which was like the biggest piece of shit. I'm like, oh my God, like, how is that possible? You have so many staff, if you're the Swedish staff, and you give your big star like a pole that is like, it's hot garbage. And she had, so she had to switch again. And that's hard to do late in a race when you have essentially, not essentially, she had skate skis or classic skis that were with no wax underneath them whatsoever, like double polling skis or whatever. And like, so anything on a climb, like you're you're kind of like trying to herringbone up there without gliding at all. And like you said, Nat, Lynn Swan was gliding a bit, which was sketchy, and she almost got burned. I mean, she already has a yellow card yeah. from before. And if she got another yeah. one, she a minute penalty, man. Like it, it, it would have cost a lot. But in the end, that pull, that basket breaking was almost like karma or something. It's so sad to see because I thought Lynn Swan looked the best for the first 14K of this race. I'm like, Lynn Swan's gonna win this easy. And then it all went to shit with her pole and then the multiple changes. And it, I don't know, it was, it was, it was really weird, but I have to tip my hat to Frida Carlson too. double polling. Like Frida Carlson is like Teresa Yohug two point, well, not 2.0 there. There will be never be another Teresa Yohug probably, but she's of that like a uh, capacity skier, like a high, high VO two max, higher tempo, maybe a little wilder in the technique and stuff. And, and man, double polling her way to fifth place in this thing was pretty damn impressive. Like I, I, I was quite impressed and and having to be ninth with the german fiasco of the whole thing like victoria carl who's been such a great classic skier this whole this whole season she got waxed out of this thing and that was so tragic to see victoria carl this was supposed to be kind of like set her up to have some advantage before she gets to that big hill and instead like she's she's out of it now she's out of it for the top three in the tour to ski because her skis were shit and that that was hard to see well, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna back you on the Frida Carlson. I, I was, uh, uh, yeah, I was so impressed with her. Like uh, we know, we all know Astrid Edelstein and how good she is to double pole. But looking at Frida Carlson double polling away from uh, Astrid Edelstein, that was that was really really impressive. We all know now, looking at the result, that the smartest way to solve this race was not to go on uh, on skate skis or double pole, but. Uh, uh, if Frida Carlson had uh, had grip on her skis and skis that wor- worked, I, I guess she would uh, have joined the Kertu and Rosie to the finish line because the shape she is in right now, she's improving day by day. And uh, she was also she had also terrible skis one day in Toblak, which uh, ruined part of the part of the tour ski as well. It was well uh, was a 10k classic. Well, they had uh, bad skis as well, so. Uh, I think Frida Carson's shape is better than her results shows. Uh, so she she's kind of back and uh, yeah, she's no Teresa Yuagi 2.0. I agree on that one, but uh, she's maybe the closest one. The other thing too with the Swedes that I found really interesting, you, I'm glad you brought that up with Toblock and like the bad skis there. I, I mean, Poroma's skis, we didn't talk about this in the men's race, but Poroma's skis were like 
oh my god like how, the swedish text what did you do to those things they were i mean speaking of skiing yourself out of the race like Horomas, are you as total shit like unbelievably bad in the men so so the, but it is tricky conditions don't get me wrong but like these armada these teams like sweden like you're it's kind of unacceptable to have skis that are so so bad like like we saw with with Portimo. but they did change it sundling was on wax like i said and, and she ended up fourth and and before we move on to a bit of the sprints if we can squeeze that in i mean i think i think like rosie brennan's race <laughs> These 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 American women are such fighters. I mean, I know that Diggins, it's kind of like all over. Like, I mean, Diggins is like made a this year brand, which is fair because she is tough as nails and she fights like crazy. But I think like the shadow of Diggins is so humongous because she's the best female skier the U.S. has ever seen. Probably, you know, that I don't think that's up for debate at this point. But Rosie is phenomenal. And after picking herself up after that, absolute nightmare of a day that she had in the last 20k pursuit which is only a couple days ago in skating she's always good in Davos yeah 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 but this was not a gimme of a race like this race like Nat said was exciting but it was a war out there and and uh amazing we're getting used to seeing two Americans on the podium like like I don't uh, which is so fun and so good for the sport but I want to tip my hat to Rosie because it was uh because I thought it was great. And you know what else I'm going to tip my hat on? I'm going to move over to the sprint if that's cool. Just quickly see if we can smash through it. Nice yeah, sprint. I have to, I, I have to uh, run hey, down. Get out of here. I, I'm, not, I'm not being the best kind of guest right now. So I have to uh -huh. show my face. Uh, so no, if you're going to the sprint, I'll say yeah. thank you guys. And, yeah, thanks and, for having uh, me. Really fun, to really fun to talk to you guys. Yeah, we'll have yeah, you again. Same. We'll have you again, Miguel. Yeah. Ciao. Yeah, see you. This podcast is brought to you by the Alberta World Cup Society, organizers of the upcoming Coop Fist Cross Country World Cup in Canmore, Alberta, February 9th to the 13th, 2024. Hey, Nordic ski fans, get ready to elevate your visit to Canmore with complete VIP experience package. You got to picture this VIP suite, indoor and outdoor access, fully catered meals, behind the scenes experience, and this is a big one in North America because we have horrendous public transit free parking from a bird's eye view to this reserved finish line access this will be the nordic experience of a lifetime so limited spots are available book your tickets at albertaworldcup.com a reminder that general admission tickets are free and all are welcome plan your visit at i repeat albertaworldcup.com and you have no bigger hometown booster than me camera alberta most beautiful venue on the world cup get your butts there and under the shadows of the beautiful Rocky Mountains, cheer on our athletes. Well, Nat has to Nat has to bounce too. So we're so soon. So we're gonna have to kind of rush through the sprints, but I think we can do it. Um, what I am gonna say, Nat, is like we're gonna start with the men, and I loved it. More night sprints. That with fire with fire. fire, dude, fire, and the crowd was fired up, man. There was actually like it's the same spring course as always the two lapper like you know it's super fast it's the actual only pure sprint course we have on the world cup anymore it's like 215 for the men or under 215 for the men and and like quite short for the women under two and a half and like this is a this is a short fast blast of a, of a course but night sprints the 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 lights the fire the atmosphere the chainsaws going like i loved it and you saw how much it meant uh shanava comes away we'll start with the men and like shanava comes away with the victory which was amazing he was so so solid I i'm just curious to get your perspective on this one should he have even been there 
because he has not made the time cut in any of these distance races. And this is like, oh my God, we're missing all these big names. We're missing all these stars. Yeah, you know, they they, they have they there's been there was controversy about that that I saw in the Scandinavian press. And it's like, you know what, like reporters get bored, they gotta file a story every day to the boss back at the, you know, metropolis. And so, you know, they go and ask like the person that doesn't want to lose to Shanabat, like, did you like it that sh they bent the rules so Shanabat could continue? But like, no, why would you kick him out? Like, that's so that's so stupid. Like, like, really, he, he doesn't make some arbitrary rule about 15 percent back from the leader in a distance race. It's like the guy is one of the best sprinters in the world. Why would you not want him there? I just think like it, and I think if anyone's I mean, obviously, he's not in the wrong like fists, like get rid of that rule because it does undermine your authority every time you bend a rule or change a rule. And I don't, I, you know, I think there are, there are other examples of that on the tour to ski this year. I'm, I'm maybe not, but I'm not able to name them off the bat, but I feel like there have been. Smaller. There is. I mean, like a Canadian, a Canadian shouldn't have been there. Julian Locke that, that, um, Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it was a whole bunch of guys. Continental Cup leader. There was a whole, there was a whole pack of them. Like Julian Locke should have never got out of the first race, like the 10 K classic race number two, sorry. in Toblock, he was outside of the time limit. Like he shouldn't have got a chance, but he did. And I, I, what well, pains me to say this, Nat, but I, I I do agree that if we want to highlight the sport, that these guys need to have an arena to do it. And what an arena it was on Davos, Shanova was unstoppable. He was so solid. His fan base was huge. Uh, it was it was almost like it was written. You know, he had one toe block and all the pressures on his shoulders. He's always good in, in Davos, but another guy who was on the podium that's always good in, in Davos is Pellegrino. So many wins in Davos. This The old man himself comes back on the podium, ends up third with a great sprint by him. And Edwin Unger to come second after all those fourth places last year in sprints. Edwin Unger had an amazing sprint season last season. And this year it's been, you know, like not that great, let's be honest. But we all know how good the young Swedish athlete can be. And to see him deliver in Davos and how much it meant to him there. I, I thought the men's sprint had it had it all. The Norwegians, oh my God. First of all, when they when they named their whole team, they they filled it with a bunch of sprinters that like they just kept naming sprinters as reserves as guys got sick. And I'm like, why are we taking all these sprinters when like guys like Dunnestad or like Stenshagen, another another up and coming athlete that that's left at home, uh didn't get the chance. And then in both the sprints, not on the podium in Toblock. And no excuses, like just not good enough. And here in Davos, I mean, of course, I think Volnes, I felt for Volnes, he ended up ninth on the day purely because someone crashed and he would have been 12th. He was garbage in his semi. But like, I think his his legs are just so shattered after that Herculean effort. But I, I can't believe it. Like, I mean, no, no, don't take this the wrong way, Gus Schumacher, but, uh, you know, Hovart Taubel and Mats William Jensen, you you got beaten a sprint by Gus Schumacher. Like like no, you know there 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 were not any extenuating circumstances there. And I, I want to talk about Gus because that I mean I that was an epic result from Gus, career best. Who would have thought he he could have possibly done that in a sprint race? And you know I think I hope Gus was playing has been playing the lottery this past week because there were definitely like between the lucky loser by time dudes crashing out of a, his semifinal heat. I mean, he definitely got lucky to get into the final, but like, you're not going to get lucky unless you're skiing at a really high level uh, and able to capitalize on it. And I think clearly like Gus showed, this is not th 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 this, th there, there was a lot of, of, 
fitness that went into that result yesterday too. Like he, he, he beat two of the best sprinters on the planet in that, in that final. And I, you know, was, was like top, was he fourth heading into today before he had the scratch because of, uh, because of sickness, which we also saw with Ben Ogden, which is like, man, it's devastating, but you know what? These dudes are like, they're, they're 20, three 22 24 years old and and you know they maybe they have to stop spending so much time on 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 tinder um and you know get get serious <laughs> no, about it, skiing. <laughs> no it is true i so i my heart broke when i saw that gus couldn't start today sitting fourth in the tour to ski i've been there man i've been top 10 dropping out of tour to skis because of illness it's the worst it's the worst feeling uh and gus man you just keep the faith but what i love to see is like you have you have ogden you have you have jc you got gus you got you have this pack of dudes now in the u.s and it's i was trying to think when's the last time we've had the north north americans powerhouses over your top five three separate guys with top five finishes i mean that's my era that's like the lenny alex myself babs era like it's it's a while now like i'm an old man like this is and i'm canadian so this has never happened really in the american side of things for men love to see it it's um i know people are going to text like, what about torn and and newell and, and simmy but you know what go back and study torn results and you'll see what i'm talking about like this is not the same it's not it just isn't these guys are young and they're good and they're good over time it's impressive and it's a great time to be an american ski fan we have five minutes again before Nat has to bounce so we're going to do the women's sprint lynn spawn with the like lebron dunk and then just like staring over the competition like how you like me now on that last lap of the final when she went on that steep hill and just pushed over the top and absolutely parked the field like absolutely shattered and like the fact that she's able to do that against the likes of of diggins really i mean like diggins is a she is a capacity skier too with speed and lynn Svon has a gear her technique is perfect I mean, in, in it's it's un, it's it's so good, and and she was such a deserving winner. She's so full of confidence. That's why I was so sad to see what happened to her today in the pursuit with those poles and going this way and that. Like it was so sad. But that sprint yesterday, she made the show. She made it happen. Best in the world. And she parked. She said she didn't even. She didn't want to leave it into the the sprint finish. She she wanted to distance herself. And Diggins is just on the podium every single weekend here. Like. We are we're getting numb to the fact that she is having the season the likes she's never had. This is legendary stuff from Diggins, and uh, I thought the women's sprint was also really exciting. Some controversy too. Should Shestad have had like at least a yellow card for in the semifinal coming into Emma Rebom and taking her out from behind her? Honestly, I think at least a yellow card for that. I mean, like, what's Rebom supposed to do? Is the same with Abinson in the men's? field when he fell in his quarterfinal like getting taken out by dudes coming way too tight on you on your tails and just like in the tour to ski not just a one-off race exactly no no exactly exactly the stakes are so so high and and ribom has been pretty good in distance races too i know that maybe not a big big focus for this tour but at the same time like shestad gets away with nothing like no no consequence whatsoever and Oof, I don't know. I, I know it's hard in sprints for the juries in fists. I know it. It's super hard. But when you look at that, when you look at the replay, like she had nowhere to go. She had no chance. Like she had no idea that was happening. Anyway, she said it was amazing. Did you see it? Like uh, she thought had like a, a 
Instagram post yesterday where was she kind of throwing shade at the Swedes a little bit? Oh, I yeah, was, always, Whoa. always. She's always throwing shades at the Swedes. She's like absolutely no love lost between she's that and the Swedes. I think she's like, I think like Petter Nortug would do this, like joke around with the Swedes with it, but a real glint in his eye. You know what I mean? A sparkle in his eye as he's yelling like the king of Sweden's name at finish lines and and all this sort of stuff. But like she said, there's no there's no sparkle in her eye when she does it. She just really likes to give it to the Swedes. And that probably is what made that victory by Lynn Spawn ever sweeter. That was her fourth sprint victory out of four. She's I, I undefeated really, in the tour de ski. It's incredible. I, and, you know, I think I just would like stress to see, you know, it's one thing to see that like on a Saturday in a one off World Cup weekend when you've had all week to rest. And I think, you know, Lynn Spawn being 24 years old, we're like getting deep into the tour to ski and to see her like come off three days of racing, deliver that kind of performance. And, you know, again, she looked good today too. And I just, you know, we've seen her in distance races. Like I just feel like watching Lynn Spawn over the next few years is, is gonna, is gonna be exciting. Um, I was, I was shocked to see Yona Sundling get bounced in the quarters, but that's, that's what happens when, uh, Lynn Spawn and, uh, Christine Savas, she style are, are in your quarter. Um, and so, you know, saw day nice to see like Julia Kern, um, getting into the semis and, uh, yeah, I got I got a bounce. We'll be back in. Uh, yeah, no, you bounce. You, yeah, we're back for the for the final climb. It's going to be sweet. And I just have to say, like, one last parting shot is like a lot of big names, too, are like also leaving the Tour de Ski while Kern's out. That was kind of planned. Not kind of. That was planned. So she was on the sidelines today in the distance race. But Anna Shirsti Calvo, they had like a great sprint to come eighth. And people were her fans were thinking like, OK, here we go. It's turning around had a nightmarish day today in the classic race. She's going home. So a lot of people dropping, but Nat and I are going to be here with you, baby. Last last couple days in Val de Fiem, uh, I'm excited. I think, are we going to see the reserve, Henrik Dunlista, on the podium in the men's field? And are we going to see kind of like a bit of a duel with like like the reawakening of, of Heidi Wang up that hill? We all know how good Heidi Wang is uh, up Alp Chamise, but Jesse Diggins has no weaknesses and no chinks in her armor. So good luck um beating her up that that big thing i think unless she gets sick i mean she's gonna win this tour to ski and rosie brennan one last great shot even though her overall chances have now kind of gone up in smoke because of that disaster in uh in toblock in the 20k skate but 10k classic mass start on saturday in val de Fiem. tune in because i think it's going to be fun and, it's uh, always a great course and rosie's back in the top 10 in the overall which is like is kind of amazing and i you know the only the only other thing i wanted to say is uh, all these uh, American men, but but others dropping out in the middle of the tour. Devin Devin gets taken down by like you know heinous norovirus, and you know what he's he's shown up to to podcast. So I don't I don't know what all these guys are doing, but um, we're he's here back. for he it. He had to leave. I know through. exactly. I know, but you got to be a little tougher because like yeah, I agree. I yeah, it's true. I agree. Come on, boys. No, it's uh, I my heart my heart breaks for all these young Americans, but I. I like your perspective, Nat, that like they're young, their time is coming and what they're showing is the likes the Americans have never shown before. And really you cool, you know, Luke Yeager, yeah. And Luke Yeager had like a, a tough goal in the World Cup, got punted back to the to the uh, domestic circuit. He wins the while well, he was third. But OK, I'm, as, a, as an international, I'm the only one that would even know that. But anyways, he, he ended up taking the, the national title in the 10K Classic. So there's a good group of solid guys back home that are hungry in the U.S. too. So it's a good time to be a North American ski fan. And that you have yourself a wonderful 
Thursday. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Devin Kershaw Show. We'll be back soon.